Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi, I Think You're Nice, the podcast where I speak to a nice person about nice things for about an hour. My name is Sarah Hanshar, and I am your host. Today, I'll be speaking with my friend Colin Smith about mental health. Yay! Mental health and taking care of one's brain is so important. And usually, we live in a perfect universe where nothing bad ever happens and we focus on purely the good and wonderful things in this world. And I love that about this podcast. That is my dream. That is my goal. That is my focus. But today, we're going to have Colin help us along with the crazy days that we're facing right now and how we can cope, you know, how we can address our anxiety, address our depression, address these things that are kind of cropping up hither and thither because of the times we're living in. So I hope you find this episode helpful. I know that it was extremely lovely to talk to him about these things and to normalize the feelings that we're feeling at this moment. This is the season finale of season two. What? 30 last season, 30 episodes this season. So I'm going to take a quick break. Do not worry. Do not fret. I'm still going to have at least one new episode per month. So I am not leaving you high and dry. Okay, my lovely listeners, I love you. And guess what? I'm always there for you. You can reach out to me at Sarah at IThinkYou'reNice.com. Head on over to IThinkYou'reNice.com. There's a contact section there and you can see all of my social media sites there. If you want to go directly to the source, head on over to Facebook. I think you're nice. Instagram. I think you're nice. Twitter. I think you're nice. And my favorite TikTok. I think you're nice. I'm mostly on TikTok just for mindless enjoyment of silliness and fun. So head on over to TikTok just just for funsies. It's just a great time. I also want to take this opportunity to thank my patrons. Patrons, I quite literally couldn't do this without you, and I am forever and ever and ever and ever and ever grateful for your support. Truly, thank you. With your assistance and with your patronage, I've been able to keep these podcast lights on, and I really, truly appreciate you. I have the greatest patrons in the world. They're generous and kind and amazing, so thank you so much. And if you're listening to this and thinking, gosh, Sarah, I would like to help you keep those podcast lights on. I would like you to come back with a strong season in season three. I would like to assist you in some way. It is so easy to do that. First and freest of all, you can just go to iTunes and like my my show. You can give me five stars and a rating. That is super easy and fun. And you can go over to Facebook. I think you're nice. Like I mentioned before, give me a recommendation there or just like share, subscribe, all of those things are amazingly helpful. And if you would like to be a patron, please be a patron. That would be amazing. For just $2 a month, you get a shout out, you get a sticker, you get um outtakes. You get outtakes for just about every single episode that I do because I interview a lot of funny people who say a lot of funny things. And I love sharing this with my patrons because sometimes the content is not quite quote unquote nice, but it is quote unquote funny and entertaining. So I love sharing that. So just go to patreon.com slash I think you're nice or head on over to Patreon and just look up the name of this podcast. Hi, I think you're nice. Or my name, Sarah Hanchar. Hey, that's me. Yeah. So easy ways to help me out and keep this podcast going. And thanks for being a buddy. I truly appreciate that you're here. And thank you so much for listening. 
I think it's time now to jump into this episode with my friend Colin. I hope you find this episode helpful. I hope you know that you are never alone. There are lots of folks who care about you, and there's lots of ways to get help if you are struggling right now, because there is nothing wrong with needing a helping hand every now and again. Literally, I just spent the first three or four minutes of this episode asking for help. Nothing wrong with it. We could all use a hand every now and again. So please take care. I love you, dear listeners, and I will see you in a little bit. Okay? Okay. Thank you so much and enjoy this episode. Bye. Hi, I think you're nice. Why, hi, I think you're nice. Let's have a seat and let's have a nice time. I think you're nice. So let's chat. So let's chat. So let's chat. I think you're nice, so let's chat. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi, I Think You're Nice, the podcast where I speak to a nice person about nice things for about an hour. My name is Sarah Hanshar. I am your happy host, and my guest today is Colin Smith. I absolutely knew his full name without asking, and he's a psychologist, and we're going to talk about that today. Perfect intro! Yay! Hi, hi Colin! Yeah, hello! Thank you so much for having me on the show. <laughs> my pleasure! Thank you for being my guest. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I'm excited to speak with you because I know you from the improv world. We are in a very inappropriate puppet show together at Unexpected Productions mm-hmm. called The Cotton Gin. You play a depraved, horrible bunny that is a crowd favorite, um, one of my favorites, and I play a whiny crybaby, which is ultimately just me, just heightened. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we all play ourselves just heightened a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you do a fantastic job. So speaking to you about your job uh, that you do for the monies and as a profession, I'm very real excited life, to speak yeah. with you about it. Yeah, for real life, yeah. not just... That stage business. So, hey, Colin, what Hello. do you do as a psychologist? What does that mean? Psychology, uh, it's the study of human uh, thought, emotion, and behavior. Um, and so, you know, in, in kind of most uh, common understanding, uh, a psychologist um, uh, works with individuals or uh, companies um, anybody that needs uh, to have a better understanding of uh, why they think the things they do and why they feel the way they feel and why they uh, behave the way that they behave. Um, so a lot of times um, working in private practice, working with individuals, that's going to look like uh, doing one-on-one therapy. Um, it could also be working with couples to work out marital problems. It could be consulting with parents about unruly teenagers. Um, it could be working with a school um, to help teachers, guide teachers and consult on the best way to work with students. Um, or, you know, again, working with a company and trying to figure out the best way to help management strategies and things like that. Rad. So you're a super helpful brain analyzer is what I boiled that down to. <laughs> yeah. I, I well, So I tell my three-year-old, uh, he, you know, he's like, why do you go to work? And I say to go help people. And he says, oh, okay. that makes sense. I think at first he said, oh, like a firefighter. And I said, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know if that's what is in his head right now. But um, there's only so much explaining that you can do to a three-year-old. He's a baby. And I feel like 
I help people like a firefighter helps people. It's like, yeah, all right, that's, we'll stop. The principle's the same, only you're putting the fire out in their brain. (laughs) Yes, I I put out fires in people's minds. the mind fire, if you will. Uh Uh, Which I look forward to being your book, I assume, that will come out uh, this fall. Mind fire. Oh, 20, uh, it's actually 2022, oh, okay. putting out the mind, putting out the mind fire. <laughs> a, a Sarah Hanchar story. <laughs> oh, God. Crying into the mind, f- mind fire would be, would be yeah. my title. Um, I love psychology, psychiatry, therapy. All of these things I think are absolutely essential and not to brag. Um, but I've been in therapy hither and thither, currently not seeing anybody, which I really, think now is kind of a good time to (laughs) reach out to a professional to have conversations about dealing with anxiety, dealing with depression, and dealing with these things. Now, you typically work with kids, right? I would say about um, 80% of the clients that I see on a weekly basis are between like... uh, 12 and 19. Okay. Um, I see a few um, kind of younger elementary age kids and, and early middle school. And then I have about five or six adult clients as well that I see on a regular basis. Um, but yeah, mostly early adolescent and then like teenager to, to young oh adult. Oh my gosh. What? That's a crazy <laughs> time. I mean, that's... It's, it's amazing. It's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. How so? Um, Tell me how like, so. Yeah, well, they're, they're, um, you know, there are these people, I, I, like, I was trying to, like, get adults to try and remember, uh, not, like, generally what it's like to be a teenager, but, like, specifically, the process of, like, figuring all of this stuff out, like, who you are, and what is all of this stuff about, and, you know, how do I appear and seem to other people, and how do I make a name for myself, and what is... You know, what is my purpose? Um, and so it's so cool to be a part of someone's life when they are like figuring that stuff out for the first time. Um, it's just like, it's like amazing. Um, and being able to connect with people and help assure them that like this stuff that they're going through while like unique to them and important to them is also like this amazing shared experience by everybody on the planet. Um, that we all go through this time and it's just this like wonderful, difficult grinding struggle to like figure this stuff out. Oh, I love that you called it a wonderful, difficult grinding struggle. Like things that are wonderful well, are yeah. also often very challenging as well that test us. Totally. And, and it's, it's the, it's the thing that I've been, I really push people on is like finding, um, finding this like, I don't know if joy is the right word, but this appreciation for, for discomfort, Mm. which is like, we have so much stuff in our lives that helps us avoid discomfort. Um, I mean, the common scapegoats are like our phone and like Netflix and social media. Right. But the reality is, is like, if we're cold, we can just like, I mean, fortunate people can like, you know, talk to their thermostat and it like turns it up or we can put on a jacket or we have in this, in our most kind of, people in our society have so much control over not feeling uncomfortable. And yet there is so much growth and so much positive, uh, so much, you know, so many positive things to be gained from learning how to tolerate discomfort. Um, and teenagers, especially like they feel things so strongly 
and helping them understand like it's okay to feel uncomfortable because as long as you're not being damaged physically or psychologically, feeling uncomfortable is going to help you grow and become better and stronger. Yeah, that's beautifully put. You're you're good at this stuff, Colin. I dare say you've done it a time or two. Oh well, <laughs> I I do I do do this all day. So <laughs> there is really something to that, and it's not unique to. I mean, like you said, uh, teenagers and people going through uh, adolescence are feeling stronger emotions, and especially don't know where to place these feelings and this overall overarching just confusion and mishmash of hormones and changing you know uh schools and becoming a person and becoming your own person and what does that mean and where are you going and so that's already pretty crazy and adults we never like to feel uncomfortable i find most of us um shy away from doing anything that's truly outside of the comfort zones like well I'm sad like this all of the time. So I guess I'm just sad like this all of the time. And I just have to deal with the fact that I'm sad like this all of the time. And that is not to diminish the, uh, the strength of depression and how it can absolutely quell your drive and desire to uh, talk about it, to work with it, to seek help for it. Because sometimes even that alone is an insurmountable feat. Um, but if you can find the ability to do that, to step outside and find that awkward, scary place and take a look from the outside in or just from the inside in further or what have you, it's really, oh man, it can really open up some doors. Um, Speaking anecdotally, this is super share time. I really struggled a year ago. In fact, if I were in this current situation with the pandemic that's happening right now, had I not seeked help when I did, and I thank God I did, I don't know where I would be because I was given yeah. a set of tools to help me function through the most trying of times. And at that point, nothing that crazy was going on, you know, just life, right. work, right. friends, shows marriage, what have you, is all just run-of-the-mill stuff, and I was losing my mind um, and luckily had the ability to get the help that I needed. And so now that we're in this really trying time, I'm able to use those tools and able to not just scream cry in the shower for three hours at a time. That... Which which is one tool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but should be supplemented with others. Okay, that's that's good to know because <laughs> the old the old Rogerian scream cry technique <laughs> is uh, well utilized. It's not in the it's not a real thing, community. is it? Okay, <laughs> no, totally not a real thing. You should definitely seek help if you are consistently scream crying in the shower. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, actually, that brings up a question that I have. So I've talked about crying. I cr- cry a lot. I'm a crybaby. I'm a crier. Yeah. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to cry. Um, I think I find it very cathartic. I find that I'm able to put uh like laser point, like what feeling I'm feeling and why I'm feeling that way when I cry. Yeah. It helps sure. coalesce like the jargon that's running through my brain is crying. You know, how do you feel about crying, Colin? 
Yes, is the question, are you right to feel that well, way about just, crying? Because uh, other, I've also heard, and I may cut this if it's too um, uh, debatable or what have you, but I've also heard <laughs> like crying is like, oh, you're giving in to your, you're making it worse, you're exacerbating your situation. Oh, sure, um, so, sure. So right, it's right, not right. helpful to just lean into the weeping, but I find it very helpful. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think I would ever say that. Um, I, I feel like crying is, so I'm not a, like a, I'm, I'm not like a cry expert. Uh, Are there you know, such a I thing? didn't take a, I didn't take, a, I didn't take a class <laughs> in crying. Um, all right, well, I'll listen but, anyway. So, so what we're, t- well, yeah, right. <laughs> so, so chalk this up to just making things up as we go. Um, no, what we're talking about is is a physical expression of our emotional state. So one of the things that you would learn uh, in in um, doing sort of directive cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one branch of therapy, is that our um, our emotions, our thought processes, and our physical being are all interconnected, and um, there is a transactional relationship between them. So if one of those th- pieces changes, right? If you think about it like a triangle, if one of those components changes, it's going to affect the other Mm. ones. Um, Which is why if you don't sleep very well and you don't eat a good breakfast, like you will be in a worse mood than if you had, right? Your physical state is not as um, stable. And so your emotional state is not as stable. And when those things are not stable, you notice like, man, I'm thinking a lot more negative thoughts. Um, You know, things are really shitty today like uh oh can i swear you can. On show? yes <laughs> okay great yeah uh and you tend to like you tend to seek out and notice the things that are bad about things that are going on around you um so crying is uh typically a physical expression of what is happening with you emotionally um and uh the important thing there is like is that physical expression of your emotion like an authentic expression of what's going on in, inside of you, mm-hmm. right? If you are crying because you feel um, overwhelmed emotionally, whether that's with sadness or anger or joy, right? Um, when our nervous system doesn't know how to process like an overwhelming flood of emotions, uh, our physical body sort of responds to that in the same way. And um, different people have different sort of mechanisms for expressing that. Some people cry, uh, when I get really uncomfortable, uh, or, or sometimes angry, I tend to laugh. Um, so like I notice that if I'm thinking about something that's sort of like important to me, like if I'm doing my own therapy and something makes me laugh, like an uncomfortable topic, I'm like, oh, that's a really important oh. sign because there's something about that that is sort of like emotionally hard to process. Um, and for some people, like when they get overwhelmed with a certain type of emotion, they cry. Um, and if that's an authentic expression of what you're feeling, like you should cry because that's what your body wants to do. Yeah. Right. It's your, it's your physical state's way of processing that information. So, um, crying's great. Um, it's a signal that you're being o- emotionally overwhelmed. True. So if, if you're crying a lot all the time, uh, the crying isn't bad, but it's a symptom that you are constantly emotionally overwhelmed. Usually you are too stressed or too tired or going through a really difficult mm-hmm. time, um, which is not like genius psychological Get reasoning, out of here. but, um, <laughs> right, right. But, uh, but that's something to pay attention to, but no, in and of itself, like, you know, um, I think that 
people in societies whose reaction is to um, reject that kind of mm-hmm. public emotional expression of emotion is um, it's because of, of the primary problem that underlies most reasons why people come to therapy is that uh, it's really hard for people to be vulnerable. It's true. Um, generally, we don't like being vulnerable. It's uncomfortable. Um, it's why people's uh, social relationships suffer. Romantic relationships suffer. It's why they have a really hard time being sort of like authentic and expressive in their feelings and their thoughts. Um, because showing people what we are actually all about is really scary. Um, and so we tend to like see crying as a sort of like authentic moment of vulnerability. And most people's reactions are like, nope, <laughs> we got a lot. We got to lock that shit down. We cannot. <laughs> We cannot show people what's actually Bury it, going on. Hide it. It never um, happened. Everything's fine. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, like, if you think about this, I mean, we talk, people talk about this all the time, but like, it's so weird that the general, like, cultural response in this society, when we say, how are you? We're supposed to say fine. Yeah, we're fine. I'm fine. I'm okay. How are you? Right. Literally, even if like, you know, our pet dies and our grandma's in the hospital and like, we're broke and about to be homeless people will still look you in the face and go, I'm fine. Okay, yeah. Right? I'm fine. Yeah. (laughs) I'm... Which is like absolute batshit crazy to me. I... It's interesting that you bring that up because I wanted to uh, talk about that as well because right now I think most of us are not fine, but most of us are saying (laughs) that we're fine. Sure, Um, sure. Because there's, on one hand... Do I want to unload all of this information on the butcher today? Like, how are you today? Well, shit. Yeah. Here yeah. it comes, yeah. man. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So- <laughs> I hope you have an hour and a half. <laughs> I'm like a chicken breast. And this one time. <laughs> and this one time, I didn't feel like I was emotionally taken care of. And um, right. so... Right. Yeah, but to to answer that you're fine, but then what I'm what I'm discovering on like Zoom calls, for instance, um, I just recorded with Michelle Hippie and we had a great conversation about home renovation. Super lovely conversation, great topic. Had a blast after we stopped recording. So she's like, "So how are you?" And I find that after like Zoom calls are kind of awkward, and any sort of this kind of manufactured interaction is is kind of awkward so and especially whenever you're on a zoom call with a bunch of people everyone's like yeah i'm fine i'm all right you know i'm bored and drinking right, right, right. Woo. um right, right but i really appreciate the conversations where it's then you really check in like no for real how are you yeah because i care about yeah. you and i want to know what's going on and i'm i have the room to take on the emotional answer that i may receive and <laughs> but you're right yeah i'm fine i mean uh, again like i'm scream crying or um i haven't left the house and right right, uh, right. i haven't taken a shower in two weeks like those right these sweatpants are grafted <laughs> to my legs so <laughs> that's an indication of not quite being fine right now right um and so uh going back to you and your journey uh is the idea or the reason you wanted to get into this field was to help people. Was that your underlying desire? The journey of getting here was uh, very strange, actually. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like it, there was, there was never this like grand plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it was just, it really was literally like I was just walking on a road and then sort of happened to be in a place where I was like, I think I'll go this way now. Um, my, my undergraduate degree, uh, was in, is in classical languages. So I translated Latin and Greek all through, <laughs> really? uh, yeah, through, through college. Oh my gosh. Uh, and, um, but in my, in my spare time, I would work, uh, work with kids, work with young people. I, I worked at, uh, YMCA Camp Orkyla for like, nine years and, um, was part of their like team leadership programs. And, um, and, uh, you know, I was working at an after school program. I met somebody who was in the, um, school psychology, uh, department at university of Washington. And we talked for a little while and I decided to kind of go, uh, and apply for that, uh, sort of on a whim. I was like, oh, I want to go back to grad school. That seems cool. And I applied and periodically through this, this journey, it was like, I would come to, um, like I, I showed up to UW for their like interview day. So they were like, okay, come for an interview. And I was like, oh yeah, sure. Like I'm going to interview. Right. And I show up, um, and, and I had this suddenly realization that like, oh, this is like a real thing that like people are really trying to do. Like I just assumed like, I'm just going to go back to school. So I'll just apply. And there were like people that had like flown in from Europe to like, uh, like, uh, yeah, like Whoa. apply and interview for this. There were 12 spots and there was like 120 people at this thing. And they were from like all over the country. And they had these like, you know, resumes on like the thick paper, you know what I oh, mean? Oh yeah, and I was that like, fancy textured kind of paper. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not <laughs> thinking about this the right way. And I went into my interview, uh, which was the guy who ended up being my advisor. Uh, and he... He looks at all my stuff and he goes, so this is a graduate psychology program. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, and according to your transcript, you've taken psychology 101 sophomore year in undergrad. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And he goes, so, and there was this like long pause and I go, I don't know. I'm really good at school. And he goes, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm really good at school. <laughs> well, okay. So, like, we had a really, like, fruitful, wonderful conversation about, like, why I liked working with kids. And yeah. the reality was, I think the real pitch that I made was, like, like, I can learn things really well. And because I don't already have a strong background in psychology, it means that, like, I'm going to be able to learn things the way that you are teaching them rather than coming in with my own preconceived notions of, like, what all this stuff means. Sure. And the first two quarters were like really hard because everyone else in my program was like an undergrad psych major. Some people were right out of undergrad. So they were like, just knew everything. Yeah, everything's fresh. And I knew nothing. Um, but then, you know, I was going along and originally I was going to stop with my master's after three years. Um, and this is sort of like, <laughs> this is like this part of the story where I'm like, how did this happen? <laughs> uh, so it was the middle of my third year and I was going to end after that year. But they did have this thing where if you wanted to, you could apply and basically continue for two more years, um, two or two to three more years and, and get a PhD. Um, and originally I was like, wow, that's a lot more school. And I'm totally not really into that. I, I can finish and get a job and do things like that. But I was like walking through the hallway in, uh, in the psych clinic at UW, uh, the, the educational psych clinic, um, fourth floor of Miller Hall and our, our like clinic secretary, who is this, uh, older lady, Pass me in the hallway and she goes, Oh, Colin, you're going to stop and, and you're, you're going to keep going and get your, your doctorate. Right. And I was like, no, I'm going to finish after, after this year. And she goes, Oh, that's too bad. 
because I was just walking by the faculty meeting and I just heard them talking about how great it would be if you were to get your PhD. And I go, you know what? I will. (laughs) And that was literally how I decided to like become a psychologist. Was someone just like offhandedly threw some like random validation my way. And I was like, I am good enough to do this. And so then I stayed in school for like three more years. Spent a bunch more money, like moved to Utah for a year to do this like clinical internship. Oh man. Um, yeah. And so, so when, when people are like, how did you get here? I'm like, it was kind of a weird thing. Um, I was like translating Latin and then I was like working in a daycare and then someone was like, Hey, you should do this. And I was like, okay. Um, but what's what, what I came away from all of, all of that random happenstance is that, um, I'm actually like super, super happy. Yeah. The way that things turned out because what ended up being like how this job functions is, uh, in private practice, like I, I work for myself. I get to take on the clients that I want. I get to like, um, learn and educate myself about the things that I want. I can go out on the internet and find like classes and things that I want to learn more about. I can consult with who I want. Um, I can structure my sessions the way that I want to. Um, and so it's just like really, really great because I have so much freedom to like help people the way that I feel like is necessary. What a beautiful story. One, do you know why I like that story? <laughs> why do you like that story? Because you're just like, okay. Like, it doesn't have to be, I find myself, and I'm sure others can can be with me on this, I find that I'm like, oh, God, if I do this, then I have to do this and X, Y, and Z, and then I'll have to think about that. Do I really want to do that? Uh, and then it becomes a big, huge thing, and I'm paralyzed by doing anything at all. Sure. So, the joy of just going, yeah, all right, sure, I'll do it. Sounds good. Obviously took a lot more than just going, okay, like you had a butt ton of work to do and a lot of learning to get in your brain. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> it was such a beautiful way of just going, okay, I'll do it. Yeah, okay. well, you know, I, I think about this sometimes when I when I work with people too, and, I, and I, I explain this to people in therapy, which is like, sometimes the misunderstanding of uh, like self-improvement or, or, you know, going through like getting better in say therapy, right. Um, we would equate to mentally, we, we, we associate it with something like, um, like physical therapy where physical therapy is like, it's very much a like slow grinding process of like, I have to get up and I have to like do my exercises every day, right? I have to like do my stretches and do my exercises and I have to like keep this up and you will see incremental progress, right? In that, you know, thing. Um, and with therapy, like it's important to continue the process, but um, advancement or improvement doesn't happen in an incremental way. Sometimes, uh, yeah. So, so this is, this is what's really interesting is like, <laughs> we think about it, like if I go to therapy, like over the course of the week, I'm going to like slowly get like more of something, right? Like more happy or less anxious, or I'm going to like improve in some way. Yeah. Um, really what I find is that what therapy does is it primes people gradually to make sudden and immediate large leaps in understanding, right? Okay. 
So what I mean by that is, um, I'll give you an example of, uh, I was working with somebody and, um, they were really, really anxious, like just having a really hard day and super anxious. And, um, we spent 35 minutes not talking of a like 50, 55 minute session. And, you know, I'm not saying I didn't try. I would ask <laughs> some prompting questions, but it was clear that like they were not in a space to like do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of like waited it out a little bit. And I was like, here, why don't you try just like looking out the window and like taking some breaths? Right. And it took a while, like 35 minutes is a long time to sit quietly in a room with another person and not do anything. It's Um, true. And, uh, and we were sitting and then out of the blue, they just say, um, I'm not feeling great. You know? And I said, yeah, you know, that's, that's okay. And I don't remember what the like prompting thing was. But I asked them a question and all of a sudden they like were able to answer it and I could see their understanding of the situation change. They were so locked into like one way of thinking about their life and their problems and how things were going. And all of a sudden they go, oh, it's like this. And suddenly things shifted, right? Everything kind of shifted. Their perception shifted, their understanding shifted, their expectations for themselves shifted, and then they could move forward, right? Yeah. Um. And a lot of times what gets people locked up is like these sort of like larger shifts or leaps in thinking that help you understand the world in a, in a different way or help you understand yourself in a more healthy way. Um, so rather than like, I'm going to do these pushups every day and I'm going to slowly get stronger. It's like helping people get to a place where all of a sudden they can leap ahead and make these leaps of understanding themselves. Um, and that's where progress comes from. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a really tough journey for both for the patient and for you, because so, I mean, hitting a plateau is very frustrating, no matter what. And you're putting in all this work, you're doing all this stuff that you, you know, I'm supposed to feel better by now. Well, yeah. Sorry, honey. That's not how brains work at (laughs) all. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) Definitely. I mean, it's so true of like, for both people, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I, I know it's frustrating for them. And as like all of the training that I have to like, not try and take full responsibility for someone else's well being, like, it's so hard. Yeah. Cause you're just like, Oh, but like, I'm the one who's supposed to fix this for you. But I can't frame it like that because then every day is going to be soul crushing. So. <laughs> You know, I have to have this balance of like, I'm trying to do my best, but also I can't be perfect and like fix or save everybody. Um, yeah. And that is really hard. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Uh, even an average Joe like me, I, anytime anyone has any kind of problem, like from people on the bus to whatever, <laughs> I'm like, can I help you in some way? And uh, it was through therapy where my my therapist was like, you can't save everybody. You can't yeah. fix everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And the the part that helped me the most was you're taking away their agency yeah. by jumping in and always doing it yourself. And that actually spoke the most to me because I had never once considered, I'm like, how could I not be helping somebody by helping somebody? 
Right. Um, so that was, that was huge. And yeah. that also relieved a huge amount of burden off yeah. of my brain because I'm like, oh, I can't give it was uh it was somebody in this course with me and I'm like well I can give him a ride because I know he has a really long bus and then he has to drive out blah, blah, blah. like I know his whole life and I'm like it would just be so easy if I could I mean it wouldn't have been convenient at all but yeah. like but I can do it so I should do it right <laughs> and right. I was I was told no that's not your responsibility <laughs> to get him from yeah. point A to point B he's got to work that out himself yeah and it's amazing even when people aren't aware of it the degree to which their desire for agency plays a role in allowing you to help them. Yeah. Um, I, I, <laughs> one of my favorite quotes was from this teenage girl who, um, you know, who's just like fighting with her mom about everything. And, um, and she goes, uh, you know, her mom was like telling her this thing and she goes, mom, uh, last week when you told me to do this thing, um, I knew it was absolutely the right thing to do. Like, I knew it right when you said it. And I purposefully did the opposite because I don't want you telling me what to do. <laughs> and I was like, man, that is so great. I have like a notebook of like things that teenagers say that are just amazing. Um, and like the most teenager thing ever, ever. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, I had a kid be like, be like, yeah, I like to drive fast. But that's okay, because I'm a teenager, and I'm invincible. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, I feel like it's very important for that teenager to know that that's not true. (laughs) Oh my god, well, what's so funny is, they knew it wasn't true. Okay. They were sort of, like, meta-aware of the irony of their own teenage statement, you know what I mean? Yes. But it was more like, I'm a teenager, and so, like, I always feel like I'm invincible, so I'm just gonna keep doing this. And I was like, okay. Oh, yeah. Wow. The things you must hear. uh, I didn't start getting into therapy myself until I was uh, almost graduated from college. Um, So, gosh, I wonder what I would have said. Listeners, what would you have said to your therapist when you were a teenager? What crazy thing? (laughs) I think about, I've actually been thinking about that a lot. Like, I don't think that I would like, I think I would have been so resistant, which gives me so much empathy. For mm-hmm. other teens, like me as a teenager, I would be like, I don't need help. Like, get out of my face, weird old guy, you know? And I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, that is probably what they're thinking. <laughs> the, <laughs> that makes total sense. The the girl who said, I just, you can't tell me what to do. That is, I mean, that's a tattoo I might get to this day. <laughs> I have a hard time people telling me what to do. Do not yeah. tell me what to do. Uh, lay so out, good. Lay out facts and information and then... I will try to do the right thing yeah. or the best thing, yeah. but being told what to do. <laughs> well, that's why it's like, and if, if, if like really good therapists and you know, every, I like, I still struggle with this, obviously like everybody would, because when the answer is right there and it's so obvious, especially mm-hmm. for teens, man, you just want to be like, dude, just like do the, do the thing, you know, you have to do the thing. It's like right here. God, just do it. You know, but you can't. Because as soon as you do that, they're going to be like, well, now I'm never going to do it. Yeah. Um, but you find these strategies and these ways of structuring conversation so that, um, you know, you're very quickly aware of what the problem is. It doesn't take like a brilliant scientist to figure out what's wrong. What is difficult is 
and this is going to sound like weirdly manipulative, but getting someone to think that this is their idea. You know what I mean? Where they say, oh, uh, you know, I've been smoking two packs a day, right? And instead of saying like, well, you shouldn't do that because it's unhealthy. You say like, oh, well, how, like, how is that working for you? Yeah. Like, you know, like, does that, does that work? Does that get you what you're looking for? You know? Mm-hmm. And suddenly it opens them up to this feeling of, again, agency, like, oh, here's this person who's suddenly not telling me that I can't smoke two packs a day, which is true. Like, I can't stop them from smoking cigarettes. Um, but instead saying, okay, well, I guess the responsibility is on me then to make my own decision about smoking. Uh, well, yeah, how do I feel about that? And is this something I want to change? Um, and part of that is recognizing that if they say, yeah, it's great. I love smoking <laughs> cigarettes. And I never want it to stop. Ah, oh, crap. Uh, then I have to say, like, okay. You know, like, I understand that. Like, you get to make your own decisions about your life. Um, and let's keep talking about it because I imagine you will at some point reach a point where you say, hmm, maybe this isn't going to work out for me so well. This is all absolutely lovely and such good information. And I hope everyone will listen to you. Because I kind of wanted to talk about how everyone's feeling, everyone uh, yeah. in the whole wide world. So you have a lot to answer for, Colin. Right, Here right. we go. Is it normal in the time of COVID to feel a spike of anxiety and depression and anxiousness, which is anxiety? <laughs> Stress uh, was the other word I had. Yeah. What? Well, what do you? What do you think is the answer to that? I think the answer is a resounding yes. And why do you think, say, watch me do, I love here, it. Do, do it. Own stuff. I'm going to do my own stuff here. Uh, why do you think that people are stressed and, and feel anxious and, and, and all of that at this time? Oh my gosh. There are a, a million reasons to sure. first and sure. foremost, there is a scary illness that has real significance in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, when the scary part is we don't know everything that we think we know about it. And that alone, even if everything else was fine, that alone is very anxiety-inducing for mm-hmm. me, personally. Mm-hmm. And I'm only speaking for myself. Um, the second part of that is our whole world has changed. Uh, we can't go out. We can't be with our friends. We can't do the things that we love to do. We can't even do regular stuff that we mm-hmm. kind of just took for granted, like going to the grocery store. Right. Right. Um Employment has changed for just about everybody. I don't know anyone who hasn't been affected by this. I myself was furloughed from my chocolate shop job almost immediately. They they did the right thing, I think, by doing that. And uh, those who are fortunate enough to continue to work either in essential jobs, I shouldn't say fortunate enough to say essential jobs, but people who are still working essential jobs, I can't even imagine the stress and anxiety mm-hmm. they feel. And then folks who will have to suddenly do everything online, like yourself. Um, like, I'm even my little podcast, I am used to having someone in the studio with me. We sit right. down, we have a chat, we have right. wine, and we like kick back and relax. And now it feels more formal and structured, and it doesn't right. feel, it feels lovely to connect and c- to communicate, but I can't really see your whole face and like we can't dick around with the puppets that I have and you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So that, so what's, what's great is, um, what was the very, very first thing you said in answer to that question? I'm scared of the sickness. (laughs) Even before that, you said, 
There are a million reasons why. Oh, there are a million reasons why. There are a million reasons why. (laughs) And and that is essentially why people are feeling this way, is because we are feeling overwhelmed and overloaded. There isn't just one thing that we can worry about. If we can compartmentalize one thing, right, Mm -hmm. it's much easier to manage our anxiety around that. Yeah. Because we feel anxious about something. Again, talking about like that, that kind of cognitive triangle before you feel anxious in your body. You, you have this thought, this worried thought, and you're able to sort of compartmentalize and resolve that. You can go exercise, get some sleep, and you can sort of manage that anxiety, right? What's happening here is like our anxious thoughts about the world are so many, you know, that every time we kind of like try and go to one thing, it becomes this whack-a-mole game of like, Oh, but you know, like I'm quarantining, but also like, I can't see my friends, but also like what happens to my poor neighbor who needs this, you know, thing and you know, what's going to happen. And on top of all this, like we're in an election year and like, you know, politics in America are so crazy right now that there's just always another thing to worry about. Um, then you throw gas on the fire of like news and media and your phone and social media and all this stuff, like showing you all these things all the time that it's very, very hard for our nervous system to actually like process and understand what's happening. So uh, we just are getting like washed over by stress over and over and over again. Um, There's just too many things. So it's actually a nervous system situation. I've never thought of it. I guess I just think it's just like brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the whole nervous system jumps on board, uh, on board sure. the anxiety train. Okay. Well, yeah. So, so, uh, so we think about, um, uh, imagine you're back in, I'm just using high school as example because that's where I, you know, sure. most of my examples have to stem from. But say you're in school and, and you, uh, you're having a pretty good day and you're walking down the hallway. Maybe this has happened to you. And then your friend is like, Oh man, I was up all night studying for that test. I'm really nervous about it. And you go, <gasps> what? Right. So what happens right in that moment? Heartbeat. Flop sweat. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. So, so, uh, mentally you have this thought of like, Oh no. Emotionally you have this thought of like, or this feeling of, of fear. Um, and, and then physically you have this response your body produces adrenaline. Um, it produces cortisol, stress hormone, right? Uh, it, you start sweating, your heart rate goes up, your, your, uh, blood pressure goes up, you start breathing faster, right? And, um, but consciously, you're really aware of your thoughts. That's mm-hmm. the thing that you are aware, like, oh, what am I going to do? What's happening? Can I get out of this? What's going on? Right. And what is sort of difficult about that is because you have this physical response. You also have this emotional response that's going on. And that when you start dealing with the, um, conscious, side of things like say uh you go oh my god oh my god you react in all these ways and then um you suddenly realize oh your friend's not even in your class they're in a different class (laughs) okay yeah so then then what happens (sighs) mentally you go oh good right but does your heart rate just go back to normal i guess does your breathing just go back to normal no you're still in you're still kind of wound up right yeah and emotionally you're still like in this kind of fragile like whatever thing you know, this feeling that you have. So then you're like, okay, the problem is resolved, but my body hasn't really resolved the problem. Mm-hmm. So then you start to go through your day. Maybe then you go to your next class and your crush sits next to you and starts to talk to you about something 
Well, you're already primed for, oh my gosh, like what is happening, right? I'm already kind of freaked out. So you're already freaked out. They sit next to you. Suddenly your brain, not realizing that you're still amped up, goes, uh-huh. oh God, what are they doing? What if they talk to me, right? Like what's happening? I have to run away, right? You start responding to that and it starts this whole other cycle. So even though our brain has like processed what's happening, our body and our emotional state hasn't processed what's happening. So we get into these like pinging feedback loops of our body's amped up, our brain gets amped up, it goes back and forth, and it's hard for us to ever sort of, quote, calm down. And it's why if you're really stressed out and you're really anxious, if you go for a run, get a really good night's sleep, drink a lot of water, like you feel a lot better and your thoughts are a lot calmer because you're actually... Um, helping cope with the physical side of your emotional response. I think that's something that I forget about all the time, especially when I'm like so hyper-focused on my feelings and emotions. I forget that it there is a body attached to this brain. I, I once saw some violence on a bus once and I, I mentally like processed it all. I, you know, called the police, talked to the police, blah, 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 saw, did all this stuff. And then about four hours later, five hours later, I was a shaking, sobbing yeah, mess. Yeah. And I was like, well, I I was proud of myself for like keeping on top of everything and like right. being very assertive and as helpful as I could be and et cetera, et cetera. But then eventually when I'm I'm safe, I'm at home, I'm right. with my loving husband, I'm so fortunate I wasn't hurt and blah, blah, blah. But then I was just like, clobbered with with my nervous system just shutting down on me yeah so not shutting down but just like hey sarah still still being in that right 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 right, right. (laughs) you're getting some blue man group inside your chest yeah (laughs) yes um it's crazy and it's why it's so it's so funny you know because because the oldest thing in the world is like when you're really stressed out people are like you got to take some deep breaths you know (laughs) And, um, I think a lot of people respond to that saying, I've heard this so many times, deep breaths don't work for me. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think the problem is it's that you don't understand why they are working, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. Um, and what's happening there is if you think about this idea that like your brain and your body take cues from each other. So if your brain is not thinking about anything, but you say like, drink a lot of coffee or do a lot of cocaine or something <laughs> that like amps up your body, right? Sure. Uh, your brain is going to find things that are going to help explain or justify why you, your body is the way it is. Okay. So your brain sort of feels something in your body and you go, and then you try and explain or justify why that is. Right. It's why people who go through any sort of like physical change, if it's like, a flush of hormones, or again, like if it's like you get some, you almost get hit by a car or you experience violence or something and your body goes through a sort of sudden reaction or it gets amped up in a certain way. Um, your brain is still going to be having a hard time because it's consistently checking in and going, what's my body doing? Oh, it's really amped up. There must be something wrong, mm. right? Yeah. Something is going on. I need to sort of like, think about things in a different way. And your thought patterns are actually structured around your physiological response and what's going on in your body. 
Um, so the opposite uh, effect is also true, which is why it's really interesting with deep breaths, which is if you can physically relax your body when you're feeling really anxious about something, yeah. your brain, even though your brain's like, oh my gosh, I have this thing, I'm late for this deadline or whatever, I'm really stressed, like what's going to happen with this? If you can just do things to relax your body, like not even worry about your thoughts, just okay. take deep breaths, right? If you can like get a massage or do, you know, some sort of things to help really relax your body, your brain's uh, will take cues from the relaxation and remind, start reminding you, you're okay. Like those anxious thoughts will then start to go away on their own because it is now taking cues from your body is relaxed. You must be safe. The things that I was worrying about must not be as important, but you don't realize that's what's happening. They just start to resolve. Huh? Yeah. Which is crazy. It's like magic. It is like magic. <laughs> Well, the brain, the brain is like magic because we're so focused on, we have control over our thoughts and our feelings and our body, right? We're so into this idea that like, we own everything, but like our bodies and our brains are doing stuff all the time without us knowing or without our awareness or without our consent. You know what I mean? If you almost get hit by a car... And then you're fine. You want to feel fine. But like your body's like, you're not fine. I'm going to keep reminding you of how you almost died over and over and over again, even when you don't want it to be that way. Oh, come on, body. Be a buddy. Yeah. So you have to kind of like figure out some of these coping mechanisms for like, God, I hate the phrase life hacking, but like, like, you know, like uh, managing some of this stuff externally. So the idea is like, how do we amp the body down, right? And by amping the body down, we amp the brain down. I love that. And I think that's uh, good advice out there because it's like, well, what does a deep breath do? We just think like, oh, breathing, that's a bunch of bull. But if you think about how it's affecting your body and how your body can then chill your brain, which I don't think a lot of us actively think about, like, because we think about working out and we think about... um, like running and walking and doing all these things, but we don't necessarily think about why they're helpful. We're just told to do it. And I don't like being told what to do. (laughs) So, but it's all coming full circle. It's all coming full circle, but being told you're tricking your brain into being chilled because your body is, that makes so much sense to me. Well, that actually goes into self-care because we hear about self-care constantly all the time. Yeah. And, so often it's like self-care, wine and Netflix, um, right. which which I don't, I mean, just personally, I think there is a place for that. Is there a place for that with yeah, self-care? Of course. of course, absolutely. Um, you know, like at a certain point, self-care is like, how do I feel good? You know what I mean? It's just that like people aren't very consistently, uh, they're not consistently Uh, aware of like what actually is going to make them feel good. Yeah. Like we have an okay conception um, and we're very good at knowing what's going to make us feel good right now. You know, like what can I do in the next 10 seconds? That's going to make me feel good. But the longer that time gets, the longer the like gratification period, it's like becomes more and more difficult. And that's where like building habits And gaining a sort of like mindset around like self-care, healthy living is important. 
Um, it's why like, you know, we talk about like most people try to avoid things that are uncomfortable for a lot of people, like going to the gym and working out is uncomfortable, but we do it because we've developed a mindset around like, this is good for me. Even though most of the activities I'm going to be doing are hard and uncomfortable, and ultimately we we still do it because it makes us feel, we know that long-term it's going to be good for us. Yeah. Um, and so really a lot of self-care is this process of uh, the, the, the major first step is just like continuing to raise your awareness just a little bit about um, what are the kinds of things that are going to be making me feel good outside of the next 30 seconds, right? Um, and beginning to like think a little bit more around like, okay, um, I know what's going to make me feel good now. And because I am anxious, stressed, overwhelmed, panic, I don't really have the mental capacity to think about anything other than the next 30 seconds. So I'm just going to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Um but if we can start expanding our awareness a little bit beyond that of like, okay, uh, I know what I want to do right now, but if I think about the day as a whole or the week as a whole, like what are these kinds of pieces I'm going to need to put into the way that I live in order to, to feel better. And it's not complicated. It's like eating reasonably well, right? <laughs> How I mean, everything's you? like moderation, right? Um, <laughs> Some amount of like structure or organization around getting enough sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, the research is basically like even just like very mild exercise, like five days a week is like more effective than taking the antidepressant long term. Um, so it, like going out and breaking a sweat, getting out of breath. Um, you know, you don't have to like run a marathon every day, nor. <laughs> nor should you. Um, <laughs> Don't make me do that. I will right. never do that, Colin. <laughs> never. <laughs> um, it will take six and a half years. I <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, you know, I think that if everybody like just does sort of like very, very mild application of like sleep, exercise and eating, um, it takes care of a, the vast amount of, day-to-day -day sort of mental health instabilities that people are experiencing. Um, really? It helps regulate and, and um, uh, helps people find grounding in their physical state, which keeps their brain working at sort of a, uh, a, a good, like stable level, um, you know, and like, yeah, watch Netflix and drink wine. Like that's fine. You know, maybe not like a whole box of Zima. <laughs> <laughs> box of Franzia. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'll I don't say, think if you can serve. find a box they, of they, Zima, where, Zima, where are you? I only drink my drinks out of cardboard boxes. <laughs> filled up, I filled up my Franzia box <laughs> with some Zima I bought off eBay from 1992. <laughs> oh, worth it. That's a good buy right there. <laughs> I think that's really helpful information. Not the Zima part, but um, uh, sleep eat and move to some to some extent and that's going to be very different for very for different people like what sure. does that mean because patrick and i we are um loafy folk <laughs> we are of the loaf people and so <laughs> like walking just to the little park and back with the dog is sort of you know what what we can handle and what we can do in our neighborhood and but 
yeah. So it's it's going to be different for everybody. Sure, sure. Um, hopefully, and there's no per- there's no like perfect. True. Um, you know, I think that like that's a common misconception that people have too. That really demotivates people is like, well, if I can't do the thing all the way, then I failed. Right. Exactly. Um, I always refer to this as like the 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 dieting error, which mm-hmm. is people are like oh, I'm going to go on a diet, but like I ate some ice cream. And so now it's like ruined, you know, so there's no point anymore. Um, And the reality is, is like, if you go out and walk around your block once a day, that is way better than not doing that. You know what I mean? It's going to be a little bit better if you walk two blocks, but like anything that you do is going to be good and and helpful. Um, So having that kind of mentality of like the things that you do are small successes rather than if you fail at something, it's a failure. Um, and that's, and that's somehow bad or, or ruins your progress. And that comes into giving yourself some grace and care also. Cause I think a lot of us are being hard on ourselves. Like I know that I'm constantly, again, I keep bringing it back to me cause I don't want to speak for anybody else. Um, but like I compare myself to, I'm like, Oh my God, this person did five shows this week and they put out this much content and they've done this many podcasts and they are on this magazine. And all of a sudden, I feel like I'm not doing enough. I'm sure I'm not trying hard enough. I'm not using my time well enough and all of these things. So that just adds another, you know, a whack-a-mole of, of things to stress you out. Right. So it's been for me, a journey to calm down. Are you doing what you can do? Are you happy with what you're doing? Can you, you know, take one more step next time? Maybe. Um, In the meantime, right. don't be mad at yourself for getting through this because everyone's day to day is going to be so vastly different. And my day to day is very different. Like I'll have a great week where I'm like, nothing's weird at all. I'm, <laughs> this is just how life is. But the house is clean. My podcast is coming out. I'm talking to friends every night. I've got a rehearsal. I've got a show. Beep, bop, boop, ba, doo. Yeah. And then there'll be the next week is like, my God. Right, my right. god what do i do now oh <laughs> uh, uh, so my lovely listeners i'm i'm with you and we're with you and i i'm hoping that you hear this with love and we're not <laughs> making you more anxious um but i wanted to talk about this stuff because i know uh we're all kind of coping in our own way so even just exercise within whatever that means to you eat well what that means to you and sleep gosh i love sleep sleep's so good it's, it's so important to use a uh, uh a very broad term um if we don't sleep well like we do nothing well so like the number one thing i tell to everybody which sounds like such a stupid uh stupidly easy and obvious solution to poor mental health is sleep sleep more. Um, exceptions that are if you're super depressed and you sleep all the time, maybe mm-hmm. get some more activity. But like, if you are not sleeping very much, um, that should be your number one priority. Um, if you're having a really hard time, go talk to a sleep specialist, talk to even a psychiatrist to temporarily get some meds to help you sleep. Um, have you heard of the Navy sleep technique? I I've have been, like, not really heard big of on the this. Navy oh, yeah. sleep technique. So, Tell me. Uh, I, I actually uh, had a client Tell me about this. Uh, and I looked it up and it's really cool and it works so well. So the government, of course, spent tax dollars at some point 
to develop a technique to help Navy pilots uh, fall asleep, like anywhere. So if they're like, you have to be in your plane for like three hours, but you haven't slept in a long time, they can like fall asleep. Um, and what it is, it's super easy. You can like look it up, but basically all it is, is you lie in bed um, and uh, you start by uh, relaxing all the muscles in your face. Okay. Like thinking about like letting go of all the tension in your face. And then you move down to your body uh, and you relax all the muscles in your chest and arms. And then you move down to your like hips and legs and you think about actively like relaxing all your muscles. And then um, you can do that like again if you want to just to make sure everything's really relaxed. And then in your mind, you place yourself uh, somewhere that is like still and calm. So um, the examples they give would be like lying in a big, comfortable hammock. Uh, where it's, like, super quiet and super still. Or, like, lying on a boat in the middle of a lake where it's, like, super still. But the idea is, like, you're not trying to think of things that are, like, active or productive or moving, um, but stillness. And if you practice that, uh, you know, every night for, like, two weeks, you'll be able to fall asleep within two minutes, like, anytime you want. Just think about being a a sleepy boat person. Relax the body and... Just relax the it. body and, and sleepy boat person. That's pretty much it. That's uh, nailed it. <laughs> I think I'm ready Sarah, to are you a there? psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like those meditation apps? Do you find them fruitful at all? Yeah, you know, m- the meditation apps um, can be really effective. I think that uh, I have my own sort of way of explaining some of these techniques that... Um, that can help help people like uh with the small day-to-day um blips that keep us from being able to like actually do the things we want to do um so i'll I'll give you some examples if that's yes please okay great absolutely Um, we wake up in the morning and our life is like time is gonna just move forward right we can't like stop time we have no flux capacitor we are just like moving forward um but as we move forward through our day, um, we have this different kind of uh, variable interaction with um, the way that we decide to do things. So, um, and it usually varies between, and here's the metaphor, is uh, you're on a, uh, a dirt road and you're on a cart that's being pulled by a horse. And the horse is like time. It's like you're just moving forward down the road through life. Um, but the way that you are uh interacting with its position and its speed um is sort of like you being able to drive the cart the way that you want to yeah um but regardless of whether you are being an active participant in driving the horse uh it's going to keep going right and um the the sort of like application or metaphor to like that thing in our life is uh we get up in the morning and we um we don't really like do anything. You know the you know the days where you're like it's the end of the day and you're sitting there and you have this thought like what what actually happened? Like what did I actually do today? You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're like, well, a day went by. Uh and those are the days that I refer to as being dragged behind the cart. Which is like time went forward and you had to go with it, but you were not any kind of a participant in what happened, Mm. right? 
Now, that doesn't mean you didn't really do anything. You did do things. You maybe, uh, you know, picked up some things around your room. You watched some TV. You ate some lunch. You know, you talked to your friends. Um, but the mental engagement with those activities was more along the lines of, like, oozing your way from thing to thing. Like, there was no sort of, like, real conscious thought put into any of these decisions. It was sort of like, oh, I guess I'm doing this now. I guess I'm doing this. You, like, find yourself in the kitchen, and you're like, I wonder what's here. And then you're sort of making yourself a sandwich, and then you kind of eat it. And then you're sort of watching TV and, like, doing the next thing. Um, so it's, like, this process of, like, passively oozing your way through the day or, again, getting dragged behind the cart. Um, the opposite of that are days where you... It's sort of like this, like the, the laser focus days where you're like, you get up and you're like, I'm going to my job interview, you know, and you, you take a shower and you get dressed and you look at yourself in the mirror and you eat breakfast and it's a healthy breakfast because you want to be on point, you know, and you drive and you, I'm going to park close to the building and then I, whatever, like, and you do the thing. And at the end of the day, you're like, yeah, like I drove that cart today. You know, yeah. I like made decisions that mattered to me and they were important things. Um, and so, so how do you find that feeling on days where you don't have like a job interview? Right. That's um, a great question. And this is a really great way of thinking about it because I feel like a lot of us are being dragged behind the cart right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it's generally why a lot of people have been one reason why people are feeling bad is because they've lost a feeling of, as you brought up earlier, agency, right? Or control. Getting dragged behind the cart, even though like you are in control of your life, it feels like you're not. Because mm -hmm. every day was just like life kind of happened to me rather than I am doing things, right? Yeah. And so an exercise that I've been encouraging people to do is um, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, about to do, even if it is incredibly mundane or simple, right? You stop. And I encourage people to actually say this out loud, as long as the person people you're around aren't going to think you're crazy, um, is to actually say what you are going to do. Like give yourself permission to go do a thing. In other words, if you're going to go, um, walk and get coffee at the coffee shop, right? You say to yourself, like, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to walk to the coffee shop and get some coffee. And then you do it. And what happens is you feel a little bit of a sense of accomplishment. Yeah. Right. You feel a sense of agency. I did the thing I wanted to do and I made it happen. Right. I planned and organized in my mind the thing that I wanted to accomplish. And look, I can do it. Right. And it's this small thing, but suddenly it allows you to feel like, your day is filled with actual real decisions. You're suddenly driving the cart on things that you do, even though they're quote meaningless or mundane, right? I'm going to go drink a glass of water, right? You're going to go make a decision about a thing you want to do and you're going to go do it. Um, and it gives you a sense of power and control over your life, over things that would otherwise just be like life kind of happening at you all the time because you're just sort of, uh, on autopilot. Yeah. Um, so cart and the horse. I love it. I think that's amazing. Very helpful. Thank you, Colin. Yeah. It's just a small one. Um, do you have any a lot of things. sweet nugs? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, there's a lot of like little, little bits and pieces. Um, there's a really great one. I forget who the, uh, 
the she she did a whole like TED talk and wrote this book and stuff on this idea. And I feel really bad that I can't remember who it is. Um, but they talk about this idea of like, the, uh, they call it the countdown. It's to help with uh, this part of sort of executive functioning in your brain, which is like task initiation. So like, you know, you need to do a thing, mm-hmm. but you just like can't kind of get yourself to do it. Yeah. Uh, like you're watching a TV show and you're like, ah, I really should do this thing. You're like, ah, blah, blah. Um, and so all you do is, and I, this is like totally up your alley, which is why I thought of this, is you say out loud, five, four, three, two, one, blast off. <laughs> and it actually helps you do the thing. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, feel free to take some creative liberty. You could say, you could say five, four, three, two, one, go. You could say five, four, three, two, one, and then make rocket noises. Um, yeah. But, but what's interesting is like, there's actually like psychological principles behind like why this works. Um, so you have like suddenly created inertia or a sense of immediacy about like the behavior that's happening with you in this room, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, guys, something is happening, right? <laughs> and by creating a small catalyst of just using your voice to declare something, right? You've actually started a process of doing a thing. Suddenly then getting up isn't that big of a deal because you're already doing a thing, yeah. you know? You're already counting down, which is like what's happening. <laughs> that's, and that's huge. It does this cool thing of um there's this really weird thing that your brain uh really uh doesn't like it when you don't do the things that you say you're doing. Really? So so by saying like I'm getting up Five, four, three, two, one, blast off. Like, not getting up is going to feel really uncomfortable. Oh. And so, like, it gives this, like, feeling of, like, gratification and success to doing this thing. Um, it's just very strange. And it's also super fun. It's very fun. Because if your partner's in the around their room and they hear you counting down, you're like, you, you go. You're going to go do a thing right now. You go a little rocket ship, you know? I'm going to fold the laundry. Right. Five, four, three, two, one. Blast off! Yeah. Yeah. Once again, I feel like a baby. Yeah. So what's fun is you can, you can actually combo those two things that I said, right? You, you make a declaration of what you're going to do. I'm going to yeah. go fold the laundry now. And then you do the countdown to actually get yourself to start the task. And you get this like combo of like, you're up and out. I love it. I think easy steps like this are genuinely what we need right now. Um, personally, I'm having a good day today. So I'm able to to be the cart master. No, what is it? I'm driving the cart. You're driving the cart. I'm driving sure, the cart. The cart master. <laughs> the cart master today. Um, but there are definitely days where I need I need a little blast off in order yeah. to get off my duff and go play fetch with a dog or whatever. Yeah. So I love these. These are you helpful. Be a rocket ship. I'm yeah. a I'm a little rocket ship. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I love it. Let's do another one. Um, okay. let's say I don't. <laughs> it's, okay. Um. Let's say I have to sit down and edit for four hours and Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's a great one. Um, So I usually equate that in the same lump as like, uh, again, like teenagers who say, uh, 
I don't want to do my homework, right? Yep. Um, so one is, uh, acknowledging that you don't want to do it is fine, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if editing is long and arduous and boring, it's okay to say, like, this, this thing that I'm going to do is long and arduous and boring, and, like, that's okay to feel like that, right? So okay. you're validating the experience as, like, what it is. Um, then there's some, like, little things with, uh, your environment that you want to make sure, um, that you do. So you want to make sure, and you probably already do this, but like that the space that you're working in is just the space that you work in. Um, as much as it is possible, um, even if it's like you get out tape and you like make a little like fake cubicle for yourself somewhere in the house uh-huh. and that is only work space, right? Um, you want to designate environmentally a space that is just for work. Okay. Um, if you try and do work in spaces that you typically do other things in, it's going to be much harder for your brain to like fully go over into that like workspace mode. Um, so that's why you hear like, you know, people re- recommend like kids for homework, like have a, like a desk that you work at, right? doesn't matter what it is as long as the thing that you were the place that you work and the space that you work is just for that work okay um and then other stuff is identifying if you are trying to edit and you find yourself doing other things uh what are those things and how do you make it difficult for yourself to do them during that time (laughs) they Uh, they did this they did this i can't remember what this research was but they did this where if if you put like a buffer of like eight to 10 seconds between you and a thing you want to do. Sometimes that's just enough to make you not do it. Like that's oh. how, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, Oh, I, I want to look at my phone, but it's all the way out of reach of my hand. I have to stand up and go get it. Like, yeah, forget it. One separating the things that are potential distractions, but also removing any potential barriers to mm. you and the work you want to do. Um, so if you know that like for editing, you're going to need to have your equipment set up in a certain way and you're going to need to have like the file located in a certain place, like make sure that like when you're getting ready to actually start doing it, that there's nothing extra you have to do to actually start working. Cause sometimes those little things like, Oh, I have to like plug in my, you know, hard drive <laughs> and it's all the way under my desk. You're like, whatever. I'll just play candy crush for four hours, you know? Um, <laughs> It's like, we're looking for a reason to not do it. And so we have to eliminate like as many things as possible that can get in our way. Yeah. Um, and then what you're looking at is task initiation, which is five, four, three, two, one blast off. Right. Um, which is d- declaring what you want to do. Um, you know, sometimes enlisting the help of someone else just to get started on something. Oh, which is to like, I'm going to sit here with you and whatever, like be a cheerleader for the first five minutes of what you're working on. Like you're just trying to get rolling, trying to start that inertia in the right direction. Yeah. Um, can be really helpful. Um, long term, if you're working for four hours, my recommendation is don't work for four hours all at the same time. But why? I can get it all done in one time. <laughs> but, it's, but it's due in four hours. No. So what I mean by that is, um, uh, uh, work. Uh, set, set time limits for yourself and have designated break times in which you can do a limited number of things 
typically what I will say is don't do during break times is um, do anything beyond check for emergency texts or calls on your phone. Um, don't do anything that's like otherwise engaging or fun. Um, don't try not to like talk to people, right? Uh, your break time should be like standing up, walking outside, drinking a glass of water, going to the bathroom, right? Stretching a little bit mm-hmm. and then getting back in there. Um, but taking breaks like that mentally is going to help reduce fatigue. Um, it's going to help reduce strain on your eyes. It's going to be good for getting blood flow to your body. Um, and then, uh, allowing yourself to break that up into designated chunks, like separated by time is going to be, um, just helpful and healthy to you. Um, because, you know, maybe you're, you, you remind me a little bit of the kind of person that's like, I'm just going to do all of this for 12 hours and my feet are going to fall asleep, but I will not stand up because that's, that's quitter attitude. So <laughs> my, I mean, yes, you're right. Uh, <laughs> how dare you call me out like how that? How dare you? And that's not to say I don't love the work that I do. I, I course, genuinely do. But everyone has their days of like, oh my God, please don't make me do this. Um, but to your point of uh, get up, rest, have a moment. I love it. Uh, my car, I have a Subaru. And every hour you drive, it'll ding at you. It's like, ding, you've been, uh, it'll start after two hours. It's ding, you've been driving for two hours. I'm like, and I have two more to go. What you, you rest Forrester. Where could you possibly be going? You have no friends. (laughs) Are you on the run from the law? (laughs) My sentient vehicle. (laughs) Please, please, Sarah. I am so tired. (laughs) No, deal with it. We're going. We're going for four hours. Listen, I've driven across this country. (laughs) Okay, fine. I'll let the Subaru ding be my my guiding light. Would my Subaru ding at me by now? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, it would. <sighs> this has been so nice and wahaha, I just got free therapy. Yeah. Oh shit. This isn't even gonna be an episode. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, dear listeners, I'd like to talk about myself for an hour. Uh, Yeah, this is the most I've ever, like, revealed about myself. And I am, like, a little bit nervous about that. Because I genuinely want people not to feel alone in these thoughts and feelings. And um, I'm, you know, trying to be a nice, kind, guiding light during this crappy time for folks if they if they find any you, comfort you always with, are oh <laughs> thank you crying is there anything else uh that you want the good people to know about uh, life or whatever yeah, right right <laughs> no i would just say um remember to um it's okay to not have anything wrong to go talk to somebody um yeah you don't have to like it's not a thing where you have to be like broken or in deep need of like rescue. Um, a lot of times the, you know, people I talk to are just like, they want to talk about, you know, their lives and, and why things happen to them and, and what they're thinking about and the way that they process things. Um, the underlying goal in therapy is like raising an awareness of yourself and who you are, why you do things and why you feel things. Um, and, um, and so, you know, those are all really, really good reasons. Um, and, uh, 
you know, with like all of this stuff, there's actually a lot of uh, openings for telehealth and um, video chat and stuff like that, which I get not everybody likes, but um, it might be a good way to, to reach out and connect with somebody. So I love it. It's a great place to start. Well, thank you so much for joining yeah. me today, Colin. You are such a peach. And yes, we end every episode with musical arm farts. So we can begin. Ready? Three, two, one. <laughs> You're a natural. I'm so good at this. You're so. You're, <laughs> you sure are, honey. You're oh so gosh. good at this. I'm so good. At it. I'm so good. Tell me I'm good. Tell me I'm good. You're at this. very good at it, thank Colin. You. Actually, you really thank are you. very good at it. I'm very thank proud. You. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for joining me today, Colin. I really Yay. appreciate it. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye.